Good morning, Restoration Church. My name is Kyle. I'm an elder here. And this morning I have the privilege of preaching to you from Psalm 119. And uh, before we go to the Word, and let's just have one moment to go to our Father in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to hear your Word. We thank you that you made it available to us in our language so that we could know you clearly. We pray that you would show us yourself, Lord, as we hear your word. Amen. So the passage this morning is not the full Psalm 119, so we're actually going to have time to read this passage together. I'll read it to you. You can read along. So we'll start in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So in my hand, I'm holding one coin, and it's worth about $4,000. Does anyone know what coin this is? It's a Bitcoin. So actually, I'm not really holding coin in my hand, but a Bitcoin is invisible. If you guys are familiar, it's a digital currency, it's a cryptocurrency, and if you were to buy one about a year ago, you could get one for about $600. So now it's gone from $600 to $4,000 in about a year. You know, last summer was Pokemon Go, this summer is uh, Bitcoin. And um, so if, you, if the IT guy in your uh, department at work suddenly disappeared, went on vacation, permanent vacation, now you know why. Um, so Bitcoin is really attractive because it's not based on one single currency, one government, right? It's, it's dependent on a whole global computer network, so you don't have to trust one government to be there for you. Uh, you don't have to trust the government of Venezuela to be there for you when you need it. And one way to describe this currency has been trustless. Um, it's all shared on computers, so you can see what's going on. Everyone knows what's going on. So we live in a generation that has problem with trusting authority for good reason. Uh, authority has disappointed us. But this morning, we're going to talk about a passage which exalts authority. So Psalm 119 is all about the good authority to God, and it's good because it is centrally inspired by the three persons in one, God. Yes, the Bible is crowdsourced, Across many, many years, but essentially inspired by God so we can trust it. So Psalm 119, you guys may have heard of it, is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's actually an acrostic. So there's 22 sections based on the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. I got a picture of what an acrostic looks like in Hebrew. So this is letter A over here, and so every line, there's 22 sections, each has eight verses. Every line starts with the same letter in each section. So Today, we're going to be going through the letter B, um, Beth. And something else you guys should know about this, this psalm is that it's a prayer. Almost every single verse is a prayer. And should, we shouldn't forget, it's also a song. And it's a private song. So it's not necessarily a song of a sense that a group would sing as they're going to Jerusalem. This is more of a private song in nature. Uh, if I ask you, what do you guys know about Psalm 119? you might say, loving God's Word. I think that's what it's typically known for. 
Or you might quote the Bible verse from your childhood. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And you'll be right. Partially right. Um, But before I go any further, I'm going to do a little bit of a word test for us. So I'm going to say a list of words, do a word association test, and just think along, see how these words make you feel as I read them. Decrees, laws, statutes, precepts, commands, ordinances, guard, obey. Okay, I've got a second list here. Delight, meditate, rejoice, heart, love, hope, fulfill, compassion, broaden, boundless. Okay, now final list of words. Fail, broken, suffered, oppression, cry, tears, streams of tears, despise, trouble, distress. So Psalm 19 actually has all these verses. So there's quite a bit of range in this psalm. We're not going to see this full range in the psalm today, but just to know that this is a great psalm to read for your devotional life. I encourage you guys to read it. We're not going to be able to go through all of it today, but it does take a while to read. But if you, in your mind, if, as a Christian, if you have these three different sets of words, the garden obey, the, the boundless, the broadened words, and then you have the tears and streams of tears, if these three sets of words are in separate vocabularies for you, if they're in separate places, this Psalm 119 really seeks to bring all those together and to have an integrated uh, view of God. And uh, one other thing, when I think about Psalm 119 is I feel a little bit inadequate because it really is, is about loving God's Word. And I don't really love God's Word that much a lot of times, I'll be honest, the way I feel about it and my actual practice and how much time I spend in the Word. And, and you might be feeling a little bit of that as well. Um, you might say, you know, I'm really happy for the psalmist. I'm excited that there's Christians out there that are just so excited for God's Word. Good for them. I'm happy for them. That's just not been my experience. Well, something to note is that whoever the psalmist was, they were not like this all the time. So we have verse 20. It says, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. So I think the way we should read this is more of like a love letter. So um, it's, it's not like, uh, so let's say the psalms actually is in love with the word 16% of the time. That's not the way he's going to write it. And that's not the way we write love letters either. We don't say we love you 16% of the time. We, we write more in absolutes to show the more the pure and perfect form uh, of our love. And I think that's good because we know what we're striving for. We can see more clearly who we should be and really who Jesus is and what he is able to do. So yes, uh, we, this is a psalm of loving God's word, but it's really more of yearning God's word. And so let's just see how we all can move one step closer towards moving God's word. So this psalm starts, this section of the psalm, letter B, starts with, how can a young man keep his way pure? And then it proceeds to pray to God the love for this word, intertwining the end of this love, which is seeing God. You can't miss the end, which is seeing God. We just sung showing Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I'm going to give you a third bullet point already. That's it. That's where we're heading to today. So as we go through the passage, these are going to be our three points. The outline, if you're taking notes. Is pursue purity, fully consume God's word, so that we can see God. So point one, pursue purity. 
Read this verse. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So we have a young congregation here, but this is certainly a question that we should be asking. All of us should be asking this question. I think a lot of us think about purity, and what do you think about? Maybe you think about that negative stereotype uh, of the Puritans from your history class in in high school or college. Maybe you think about uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye book that you got from your youth pastor. Um, You know, values like transparency and accountability are really popular right now, and they're great things. Um, not so much with purity. Purity, I think we, we as even Christians, lump it in with prudishness. And uh, we don't feel so great about that all the time. It's not something that we wake up in the morning thinking about. And I pray that we as a congregation would have a new Christ-like attitude about purity. So I'm going to give you a definition about purity that may not really change your mind. But in Scripture, blameless and clean are also translated pure. So those are sort of similar in God's eyes, blameless and cleaves in a spiritual sense from God's eyes. So well, what does it mean for us in a daily life? I want to help us cast a vision for what purity means and really make the case for purity for us this morning. And we're going to go through Scripture to do this. So what do we learn about purity in the Bible? Well, we're going to go to First Philippians 4.8. So purity is not just about outward action. Last month, Nathan led us through this verse, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we know that as Christians that God doesn't just look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And he's not just looking... Uh, for what we we're, we're want to do. He's looking for our, our actual private thoughts. He sees all of us. So one thing I want to challenge us on is, um, as you know, we think about our works, they're not just outward, they're inward. And we're not look, God's not looking for sacrifice or just privilege. Husbands, one application for us. You, you should tell your wives you love them. You should absolutely do that. But if God hears, hears you complaining about your wife, what does he think? Does he see purity? He wants to hear our thoughts rejoice over our wives, not just our words. He wants consistency, 24 karat pure gold, in our love for Christ and others. Okay, so while purity is not just about outward action, it is outward, but it's not just about what you're thinking about. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So pure religion has to be outward as well. So if you're just staying in your little monastery, personal monastery, your closet, praying to the Lord, he wants that, but he wants a lot more than that. He wants all of you guys. He wants your full outward action. I want to you know, point to this verse as two very practical steps of outward action. Do you care for orphans and widows? What are you doing for orphans and widows? Or others in distress? I think in seeking purity, we should always seek first to pray God, but I think one thing I've noticed in my own life is that as I seek God outwardly, that outward focus actually comes back and changes my heart. So if I'm out there helping the poor or giving my money away to the poor, 
how does that impact your heart? How does that impact my heart? It changes my heart. It helps me see, see the poor more through God's eyes. And in so doing, it really helps me have that view of purity. So we've discussed that purity is both inward and outward. But it's just more than that. It's, it's shining. So I think a lot of times it can be a little bit of a dry, perceived as a little bit of a dry attribute, but it is shining. Parents, we're gonna, you're going to say these next verses out loud with me. Philippians 2, 14 to 15. You probably know them. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So purity is really shining. It's, 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 it's beautiful. It's not dry. It's distinct and beautiful. And just how God sees that candle in the darkness, he also sees our purity when we are pure inward and outward. Those around us may not see our inward, inward purity, right? They don't know what's going on in your mind. A lot of times they don't. God sees it and it shines. And it shines uh, not just to those around you. It also, sh- uh, not just to God, it also shines to those around you. And I think we have a lot of um, opportunity to, to rejoice in Christ through how we are pure outward. If you have your mind that it's, uh, purity is just a matter of stacking logs one at a time until you have this big stack of logs, pointless stack of logs, just so exercise and works, I think you're missing the point. I think we need to remember that stars are beautiful. And one thing about purity is that it's not just one way, it's two ways. So purity is shining to God, but also it allows us to see God. So it was it last summer or the summer before, we were going through Matthew 5, where Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. So why, is, why are blessed are the pure in heart? For they will see God. They're happy because they are going to see God. I think it's tempting to say, God saved me. Uh, he gave me his righteousness, but you know, it's just, it's way too much work for this world. I'll see God clearly when I get to heaven. And for now, I know I'm saved. That's good enough for me. In a few years, I'll be in heaven and then I'll be good. I think, uh, our, our vision of God is so clouded because we are often so entangled in our sin that we really don't know what we're missing out on. And I, I think an analogy here is binoculars. So, if you ever tried using binoculars and pick up a pair of binoculars, you know, usually, a, lot, a lot of times they're blurry when you pick them up, right? You have to do something with them. You have to focus them. So God has given us the binoculars. He has given us Christ, but we could be living in, uh, with just blurry binoculars all the time. And I think purity, aligning our hearts with Christ and the way he views the world and the way he views himself, can really focus, bring that vision of focus so that we can more clearly experience God. And one thing about experiencing God is, God doesn't just want to be known from a distance. He wants to be known up close. He doesn't want to be known through binoculars. It's not a great analogy. Um, he wants to be known personally, and he wants uh, our joy to be made complete in him. So this, this purity that we talk about is ultimately a relational thing. It's not just personal. It's relational, and it's about, all about pleasure, finding pleasure in God. So finally, one more thing about purity you should know is that it endures forever. So if we are in Christ, our heart attitude toward God will be pure forever. So where are you going to be 200 years from now? Your hearts are going to be a little more clear than they are now. So I think oftentimes I feel discouraged on how lack of my lack of purity in my own life and my thoughts. 
I think you may think of your, your mind as two trains running in opposite directions. But know that you're not always going to be this way. Someday in heaven, you guys are going to have clear, crystal clear vision of Christ. And it's going to be something that you haven't experienced yet. It's going to be totally new. And you can look forward to that. So, brothers and sisters, we have purity as inward and outward. It's shining. It's two-way. It's relational. And it's enduring. So how badly do you want this? If you were to write an essay about purity and what it means to you, how heartfelt would it be? Now that we understand the question of how can a young man make his way pure, let's go to the answer by guarding it according to your word. Another version has living according to your word. So NMV has living according to your word, guarding according to your word. So before we even talk about living according to your word, I think there's something implied here that we really need to dwell on. In asking this question, the assumption, underlying assumption is ultimately that Scripture has the answers, and we're looking to Scripture from the answers, from outside of ourselves. The psalmist is not looking for the answer from himself. And I'm encouraged to, you know, when I look around the church and see the people I've known here through the years, how I've really seen this play out in your lives, how um, life has not always been easy, and you guys have, have fought discouragements through trusting Christ and his, his word in, in, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and, um, and just trusting God. You know, I think a lot of times we don't find this to be the case for ourselves. Sometimes we struggle with God's word, don't we? So in an age of limitless information, we trust a single book. For non-Christians, you may find this a little bit crazy, but that's what Christians actually believe. We trust this single book. If you struggle with the authority of Scripture, I want to ask you this question. What presumptions do you bring to Scripture? What hardcore facts do you bring that are immutable, unchangeable, that you're going to demand that Scripture changes to this particular point of view on this particular topic? If you struggle with God's Word, I really challenge you to actually read it. And I think one thing you'll notice as you read through the life of Jesus is his attitude towards Scripture and, and how he uses Scripture in his own life. Both Scripture in terms of the Old Testament also the Word of God from God the Father directly. You know, one thing I think about when I think about the conformity to all of our lives to, the, to, to God's Word is Luke twenty two forty two. So Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane before going to the cross, and he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So trusting all of Scripture is not just an intellectual Ascent is trusting all of our will to all of God. And while you may have been uh, yearning for purity, um, not have, while you may not have been yearning for purity, they not, that may not have been the question you asked. I think we all yearn for the essence of life in some ways. Some people call that peace, others happiness. Um, but I want to give you this quote here. This is my simple religion. There is no need for temples, no need for complicated philosophy. Our own brain, our own heart, is our temple. The philosophy is kindness. This quote could have come from just about anyone on our Facebook stream. And it really represents what the world tells us and how to pursue, pure, not purity, but more of the essence of the life they would they determine as. Perhaps they determine as purity. Probably more likely happiness, peace, fulfillment. So this, this quote 
could have come from anyone, actually came from the Dalai Lama. And while we agree with the Dalai Lama that kindness is really to be upheld, we would disagree with him in saying where this path actually comes from. So we would say this path doesn't actually come from inside of us. It's not just simple. It doesn't require just us. It actually needs a higher law outside of us. Do you think that's true? Do you think the true essence of life is in yourself, according to this quote? So non-Christian friends, you may be surprised to learn this, but Christians don't believe the answer comes from them. That may not what you see and be seeing in the media from your friends, but we really don't think the answer comes from us. Uh, we believe the answer comes from outside of us and that we are the problem. So again, we are the problem. Talk to your Christian friends about this. They will say they are the problem. And that's why we go to God. The scripture tells us that we are enemies of God and we look in our own hearts, we've examined our hearts, our motives, how we treat our spouses, how we treat our children, and we find ourselves to be far from pure. Um, we would like to believe that we don't need temples, so to speak. We don't need complicated philosophy. We don't need something outside of us, but that's not true. But the good news, guys, is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus came down in the form of human to give us give us a pure life and to live it perfectly for us so that we could one day have his purity. So by him dying on the cross, he laid his own life down for us to give us a purity that we couldn't achieve on our own. That purity is given only to those who would ask for it. It's not given to everyone. It's only given to those who would turn and repent and believe. So my question is for you, have you done this? Have you claimed Christ's righteousness for your own? Do you want his purity? Do you want the perfect purity that only can come from outside of you? So tomorrow, we have an eclipse coming. It's important to have the real thing. Don't squint at the eclipse. Don't go, you've got to get a pair of these glasses. I think Isabella selling some over there. She sold out of them, I think. But you want to be looking. I can't see anything through these glasses, but... Um, you want, to, you want to get the real thing. You want real purity. If you're squinting at God with your own eyes, with your own purity, that's what you're doing. You're squinting. You can't really see. And you know, sometimes when you can't really see that well, you don't always know it. Sometimes you have to go to that optometrist to find that out. Find out how bad your vision is. Christian, encourage your friends with this message. As you look at the clips tomorrow, be encouraged that you can see. And non-Christians, we are happy to share with you about how we've come to know this vision of Christ. We don't have any pride in it. As we've told you, that we are sinful. It is, we are causing a lot of problems even now. Even after we're Christians, we're still causing a lot of problems. We're messed up. But we do have uh, an answer from outside of us. So guys, if we're going to be fully trusting God for salvation, we need to trust his word. And if we're going to trust his word, we're going to need to know it fully. So that brings us to our second point, fully trusting God's word. Fully trusting God's word. So the psalmist actually gives us about six ways I see in this psalm to live according to your word. And I'm going to walk us through those one at a time. If I was Nathan, I would do a full 45-minute sermon on each. I'm not Nathan, so I'm just going to give us a little bit of tidbit on each. And I pray that as we go through here, you'd find one way in which you really want to consume God's Word going forward more in your life. I think 
you know, in my life, there's definitely a couple here that I, I need to do more and really want to uh, see God more through pursuing this way. Um, but just take one or two of these. So the first one is seek. We go to verse 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So we see in this commandment that pursuing God is part of the pursuing his word. we got to seek him. It also requires knowledge of ourselves when we're going to God's word. We need to go to God's word in seeing ourselves as wanderers. So if we're going to look at God's word, we're going to see him as God, us as wanderers, and I think it's a good idea to do what he did in this psalm, is actually verbalize it to him. So let's not assume that God can read our thoughts. He can. Let's not assume he can read our attentions. He can. But let's go ahead and tell it to him strongly. And that's what we see in this psalm, throughout Psalm 119. Next, verses 11 and 16, we see God uh, through remembering his word. Verses 11 and 16, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I will not forget your word. So what does it mean to uh, store up your word in your heart and not forget God's word? Well, one thing it means is remembering God's word in a heartful way. So I don't think that I don't think the psalmist here is talking about downloading information into your uh, into your brain just like reading Wikipedia. And I, for those of you who think that you've got your Word of God right here in your pocket in your phone, I don't need to store God's Word up in my heart. I would ask you to think again. So God is really big in remembering throughout Scripture. What do you think about when you think of remembering God's Word? You think of the Passover. You think of remembering God's faithfulness. You think of communion. Maybe you think of your own baptism, your public testimony that you made. All these were ways of remembering, ways of looking back. So God asks us, yes, he asks us to look forward to heaven, but he really wants us to look back, constantly be looking back. What do you think we're going to be doing in heaven? We're still going to be looking back. Heaven's going to be perfect. We're still going to be looking back there. God is totally remembering. Wired Magazine had an article a few weeks ago titled, Your Brain doesn't contain memories, it is memories. Every sensory experience triggers and changes in the molecules of your neurons, reshaping the way they connect to one another. That means your brain is literally made of memories, and memories constantly remake your brain. Our memories are not just snapshots sitting on the shelf of our mind. They actually form who we are. So how we remember what we remember and the emotions we attach to our memories Maybe it's willingly, sometimes unwillingly, in the case of bad emotions. Those really form who we are today. A lot of times, perhaps subconsciously, but our memories, childhood memories especially, really form who we are. How do we remember the past? What are we choosing to remember? So, brothers and sisters, I want, I want to ask you this morning, what do you have stored up in your heart? What fuel do you have stored up in your heart? So I know Paul and Silas, what they had stored up in their heart. They were in the Philippian jail we, we learned about over the past few months. We heard that story a number of times. About Paul, and Silas were, Paul and Silas were in jail, and what were they doing? They were singing hymns. So this psalm is a song. So you don't have to know this whole song. Don't worry. Um, but what you can do is you can sing a lot in your lives, and that's easy to do. That's maybe the easiest application from this entire sermon. Incorporate singing into your life. You don't have to be good at it. Thank God that God has given you a voice. And um, I think one thing I like about singing is 
is it, what it does, for me at least, is it grafts God's word to my heart in a way that just reading does not. And I think if you guys incorporate in your lives a pattern of singing, perhaps with your roommates, uh, perhaps it's obviously here when you come here, maybe it's with your family before bedtime, maybe it's alone in the car on your long commute, it's okay to sing, and know that you're doing good work in your soul when you're storing up those words. <laughs> someday you may be in a jail someplace, and someday you may be in overseas jail where you don't have access to Scripture. What are you going to have at that point? So another great way, I think, uh, in my life has been through stories. Um, and I pray this has been in your life as well. The Bible's filled with stories, and stories have a way of, of really capturing information, organizing information that really channels it straight to our heart. You know, I think of the prodigal son. What stories do you have to go on? I think one exercise you could do is try telling a story to someone else, maybe a non-Christian friend, maybe it's your kids or a friend. Try to tell a story from the Bible. It's actually not that easy as you might think to remember all the details, to really get it right, and to really communicate God's full word. But I pray that you guys would see this as one of the way to really store it up in your heart. Yes, you can memorize scripture. That You should do that too. But singing and telling stories, I think, is a way to really keep it with you for the long haul. So one final thing, uh, it is telling stories, it is singing songs, but it's also memorizing scripture. So verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So one thing I think that is helpful as Christians to do is to memorize one verse that speaks to a specific sin in your life. So sometimes I struggle with the love of money. So one verse that's helpful for me is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Maybe you have a verse like that in your life, or maybe 20 verses in your life. Um, I probably have a lot too. But just think about how that one verse can meet you in your time of need. So we need to remember. We also need to request. Verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. The psalmist here is asking God to teach him, requesting that he teach him. So in your time in the Word this past week, did you go to God in prayer first? And if so... What are you asking for? What prayers do you ask God for? What are you asking for when you go to him in the scriptures? I think one thing to note, again, is that Psalm 119 is a prayer. Something else to note is while this is a private psalm, prayers do not have to be limited just to our private prayer life in our private time in the Word. Are you guys praying for people in your community group in their time in the Word? Are you asking them about their time in the Word? What are you praying for for them in the time of the Word? You pray for each other to be convicted, to be encouraged, emboldened. So prayer and the Word just go together, like you fill in the blank, whatever analogy you want to use. So next, declare the rules. So we have verse 13, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. So why is declaring important? Why do you think declaring is so important? It is important that others might know. But I think one important thing that we miss is that when we declare, we really make the joy real in our own lives. When we tell someone of the good news that's happened in our lives, that really gets us more excited as well. It completes our joy. So think of the last piece of good news you got. What did you do when you got that last piece of good news? Who did you tell? Hopefully you didn't keep it to yourself. Um, Nicolette and I were on vacation last summer in Uptown Charlotte. Uh, not really a great vacation place. We just needed a night away from my family and just time for a marriage. And 
We were walking in the busiest intersection, pedestrian intersection. So think, you know, Farragut and Kay, Farragut North down there, uh, and, and just people everywhere. And as we walked across this intersection, there was, there was this guy out there. And I think, you know, we probably all have very mixed experiences with um, street preachers. Well, this guy was a street preacher. And he was handing out tracts, and he's, uh, he's got a very simple message. He says, um, I have good news. And he says, Jesus saves, and he loves you. I have good news. Jesus saves. He loves you. He's saying this again and again. So, and the one cool thing about it is he's probably the happiest guy I've ever seen. So as we declare God's word, are we doing a happy way? And this guy, if you ever, if you ever go to Charlotte, raise your hand if you're from Charlotte. Anyone here from Charlotte? Okay, anyone from Charlotte? If you go to Charlotte sometime, you'll probably actually find out who this guy was. So I just had one inter- interaction with this guy, but he's literally the loudest person I've ever heard. You don't have to be that, thank God. You can be quiet and tell someone one-on-one. But this guy, I did some research on him last night because I'm like, if I want to put him in my sermon, I better find out a little bit about him first. And he's got a reputation out there, um, <laughs> to say the least. Um, you can hear him for six blocks. So the entire city of Charlotte is aware of this guy now. Um, what a testimony. <laughs> and he's aware of it. So, um, um, so visit Charlotte. So I want to get a, give a shout-out to Restoration Kids. You're not going to be shouting like this. You don't have to. You, can, you declare the words of God to people, to real people. Kids are real people. They have real souls. You're doing the work of God. If you have kids, you're doing the work of God. Declare God's word. I'm just so thankful that such a big part of this congregation actually does that. You love on our kids. So let's go to verse 13 again. All the rules of your mouth. Do you see laws is just from man's mouth, or do you see them from God's mouth? So what I like is imagery here is the Lord's mouth, rules of your mouth. I think sometimes we can think of Scripture, you know, at some level, just being sort of an arbitrary set of rules, perhaps just written by men. Some of it's relevant to my life. Some of it's not. Psalmist realizes, and he, he takes a great vision of it and says, look, this is the, of your mouth. It's personal communication. This is your word. Do you want to have that? Do you have that? Do you see a God? Do you see this is God's word from his mouth? He owns his communication. He owns it because it's his way of expressing his very being to us. Finally, note that declaring does not have to be verbal. It can be written. Introverts rejoice. Um, you can write emails. You can write a psalm. Have you ever written a psalm? Who says you can't? You can write a psalm. You may not make the Bible 2.0, but you can write a psalm. Next, delight. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. That was verse 14. And then verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. So some of you may be saying at this point, you know, I just have trouble staying awake when, I read, when I'm reading the Bible or I have trouble staying awake as I'm listening to the sermon. I haven't seen anyone fall asleep yet. That's good. So where does, scripture, where does delight in Scripture come from? Well, I think one way it comes from is examining your life, who, what it would be apart from Christ. Who would you be apart from Christ and who are you in Christ? I think sometimes this is hard to do. I think for people who became Christians at a young age, I think it's tough to see maybe who you would have been. Who would you have been if your parents 
were not Christians. Some of you have Christian parents, some of you do not. So the street preacher, I looked at him up online, he had 29 arrests before he was 26. He knows. Do you know? Do you know where you would have been? So another way we can rejoice is by taking a single commandment and then just seeing how that commandment has bring joy in your life. So you think about honor your father and mother. That doesn't sound that exciting. Maybe you kids, it doesn't sound that exciting. But think of how many ways your life has been blessed by honoring your father and mother. And then probably if you're looking for the easy way out and delighting in Scripture, just look at Jesus and what he's done for you. It's, it's probably the Sunday school answer, but it really is. It's the easy way to do it. And I think one interesting way to do it is you can actually delight in Jesus delighting and obeying God's commands. So go to John 15.10 and it says, Jesus tells his disciples, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Again, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus and love and delight and his word and the Father's authority, they're all coming together. They're all together. And sixth, finally, meditate. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. So to meditate is to ruminate or to just think really deeply and contemplate the truths of God's word. So if we're going to be honest about fighting this battle of purity, uh, just Sunday school answers is not going to do it. Restoration kids' answers are not going to do it. We need a lot deeper knowledge of that. We know that we are prone to wander. So we need to fix our eyes. So it's consciously looking at our eyes, pointing them in a direction, fixing them. So one thing we can do, look at God's law, see what it does, understand it intellectually, right, what it's asking for us, and then see how it's changing our lives gradually, and how it's changing the lives of those around us. And then seeing how this law is not an arbitrary law that God somehow randomly threw a dart at a dartboard. It's expressing God's whole being. How does it express his being? How does it express God's character? What about God do we want to learn more about through this particular law? Meditation, I think, often requires an extra dose of discipline. So I'm not an extra uh, Hebrew, I'm not a Hebrew expert, but this verse in Hebrew could be talking about you putting down your phone, turning your phone off. But that's only one thing to do. I think once you put your phone down, it's time to focus. Have you ever considered your self one that meditates, or is that something that, that the Dalai Lama does? That's for him. No, Christians, meditation is ours as Christian. So I'm not a doctor, but I know that a simple head knowledge of God's word is not going to do for it. It's not a good enough diet for us. We need a better diet than that. So we went through these six points. We went through seek, remember, request, declare, delight, and meditate. Be honest with yourself. You're a complex person, and you need to be fully engaged on all levels with God's word to battle purity, for battle purity. So we've talked about pursuing purity, fully consuming God's word, and now we get to our final brief point so that you can see God. Verse 10, back to verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. 
So in this verse, the psalmist shows us that what we've been working towards this whole time, what we work towards every day as we go to the God in the Bible, we're not going just for an exercise, just for intellectual exercise, just to check the box. We're going because we want to see Christ. We want to see him more fully. And I think one thing that you can imply from this verse is that if you're not following his commands, not following all of his commands, you may not be wholly seeking him. Again, I'll say this again, it's important. If you're not following commands, if you have friends that are calling you out in your sin and you pursue sin and continue to do that without any remorse in your life, you may not be a Christian. You may not be following God. So we can, tire, we can memorize entire books of the Bible, but if you're just doing this for the heck of it, you're wasting your time. Scripture, really what Jesus has Scripture for us is a, a picture that he's painting for us to show him his, us his full self. Are we seeing that picture? And he doesn't want, again, he doesn't want to be known from afar. He wants to be known close as he is. So again, the inside-outside analogy, the reason we don't try to see God just from our own thoughts is that if we try to do that, what are we going to end up doing? We're going to end up seeing a picture of ourselves. And so we want to look to the scriptures to see a picture of God as he sees himself, as he really wants to be known. Are you doing that? And then when you do that, are you keeping your distance or are you pressing into him? God wants to be known personally and he wants to invite you into his happiness. So verse 12, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. So if you recall from the Beatitude sermons that blessedness, blessed is really happiness, being happy. So my paraphrase of this version is, God, you're fully happy and you're living according to your word. So I want to be happy like you and live fully in word just like you are and be happy with you. Remember the, the word list we did at the beginning? Those three separate word lists, the one that are more based on law, the one that's based on joy and happiness, and the one based on sorrow and tears. This is where it all comes together. We take happiness in God and take our feelings and put them in God and see God closely. So friends, you feel a little overwhelmed by all this. Six ways to consume God's word and you feel like you're not doing one. Well, I pray that you'd be encouraged this morning knowing that we are not perfect, but Christ is. And we have one who kept all these words and who does fully love the Lord. And we have him, and if we go to him, we have his perfect Christ-like purity. We may not see God clearly right now, but someday, when we're in heaven, we'll have it all, guys. We're going to have the pure vision of Christ, and we will see clearly, and we will experience him fully. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you are here present with us today and you bring us yourself. We thank you that you let us share yourself with others, that you let us take joy in you. We pray that every day as we meet with you that you would just show us one more part of yourself, that we would move forward, Lord. We ask for those struggling here that, uh, that feel disconnected with you. We pray that you would bring other Christians here in their lives that would help encourage them Point them to what you have done for them so that they may rejoice and pursue you further. We pray this in your name. Amen.